The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 18th chapter. Please stand. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tom. And at once a rooster crowed. Is your life defined by the rooster or the cross? Now, that question might not make much sense to you right now. You might not know what it means or how to answer it, but I'm going to use that question. I'm going to use the image of the rooster and the cross to help us understand what's happening in this passage and hopefully help us see the incredible difference that it can make in our lives today. There is great hope for all of us today, especially those who know their weaknesses and their struggles, their sins and their failures. For your life does not have to be defined by your failures, your sins. Instead, it can be defined by the triumph of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
The story did not end here for Peter. His utter failure in this encounter was not the final word on his life. And whatever you feel are the worst moments of your life, the worst things that you have done, the worst things about you do not have to have the final say. Your life can be defined by the cross, not the rooster. The rooster is an image of Peter's failure. It's a reminder of our need for the grace of God. The cross is an image of the triumph of Jesus. It's a reminder of God's abundant supply of grace. Some of you may know that in early church history, many Protestant churches would put a a rooster atop their steeples in Europe to distinguish them from the Catholic churches. It was the precursor of what we have today. You might see in this area, especially weather vanes with roosters on them. So many churches had this rooster as a symbol on their churches. And many churches used that as a a reminder of the weakness and the need of man, as we see it in Peter's denial. Why they also would use the cross as a symbol of the triumph of Jesus Christ and his atoning death and his resurrection. The cross proclaims loudly to us that even Peter, the one who three times denied his Savior, This man was forgiven and loved and restored and sent out to live zealously for the glory of God. So there is great hope in these two images because of the gospel, because of Jesus. There's great hope for sinners everywhere, for sinners here today. Our church is not simply a gathering of people. This here, everyone here this morning, those who are part of our church, those who might be guests with us, we are a family of people who sin, a family of people who struggle, a family of people who fail, a family of people who suffer, but we are also people who enjoy fellowship with one another and fellowship with the triune God despite our sins and our struggles and our failures and our sufferings. Why? Because and only because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And because that is true, he has transformed our lives so that our lives are not defined by the rooster but by the cross. Now the way that John records this historical event for us, which includes the crowing of the rooster as Jesus is on his way to the cross, it it brings out the contrast between Peter and Jesus. John starts with Peter's first denial, and then he moves to the beginning of Jesus' trial before the high priest, and then he comes back to Peter's second and third denials. And John does that not simply to show us that these events are happening at the same time, but he also does it intentionally to draw out, draw out that contrast between Peter on the one hand and Jesus on the other. And I believe not just Peter specifically, but also Peter as representative of us. Representative of all humankind. A, a picture of the kind of people that Jesus loves and dies for. In this passage on the way to the cross... Everyone seems to be doing the wrong thing, except for Jesus. Everyone seems to be failing, 
except for our Savior. So we will consider the rooster and Peter's denial, and we'll consider the cross, the beginning of Jesus' trial, which leads to his death and resurrection. And I want to ask you this morning to consider which one defines your life. Let's start with the rooster and Peter's denial. The scene is set. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He has been arrested. It is dark and cold. It's the middle of the night, and Jesus is taken into the courtyard of the high priest. And Peter is brought into this area by an unnamed disciple. We are not told who this disciple was. So if you read up on it, you study about it, some will say maybe it was Nicodemus. Many will say it was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who wrote this gospel. And that is my, I would call it a a loosely held opinion, an an open-handed hold on that. I believe that's who it was, but I could be wrong. But one of the reasons I think it's probably John is it just lends credence again to this eyewitness account. What we have as we read the Gospels are eyewitness accounts, and it's an encouragement to our faith. We don't have a blind faith. We have a reasonable faith. It's based on events that happened in history that people saw with their own eyes. And they wrote it down, and they said, check it out. Investigate it. So I I think it was John. But the point is that Peter is brought in. Now, before we look at his denial, let's just remember who Peter is. Peter's one of the top three disciples. He, along with James and John, they were often taken aside by Jesus for their private tutoring, we could say. They had that often. They were on, Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had that private invitation, that front row seat, the backstage pass to that amazing display of the glory of Jesus Christ. Peter had walked on water with Jesus, even if only for a few steps. But imagine the the bragging rights that he had. Right? James and John want to know who's going to be the greatest. And Peter could just, well, boys, I walked on water. Peter is the one who answered Jesus' question. Right? Jesus wants to know what the people are saying about him. And he finally turns to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives this proclamation of the truth of who Jesus is. And he didn't come up with it by himself. He even had that special revelation. Jesus said to him, Peter, God the Father has made this known to you so that Peter could answer, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's the one who spoke up when many in the crowd of the disciples were deserting Jesus. And again, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, do you want to go away as well? Who answered? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter is the one who just hours earlier, that very night when Jesus said, all of you disciples, you are all going to desert me. And Peter says, not me. Not me. Even if they all desert you, I won't desert you, Lord. I am ready. I'm ready to go. Even if I have to go to prison, even if I have to die, I will not desert you. I will not deny you, even if I must die. And that's when Jesus told Peter, will you? Before the rooster crows tonight, you'll deny me three times. But Peter, Peter had this utmost confidence in himself. 
But now what happens to this man? One of the top three, one of the closest followers. God had worked mightily in his life, had already used him for his glory. But what happens now? Now, after Jesus has been arrested, in the dark of the night, when Peter is asked by a servant girl, you are not one of this man's disciples, are you? What does he say? I am not. When asked a second time, standing in the midst of sinners, that could be a whole other sermon, Standing in the midst of sinners, you are not one of his disciples, are you? What does he say? I am not. Now, before we move on to that third denial, I remind you, John is making this contrast between Jesus and between Peter. And I don't know about you, but I hear something. I hear something in Peter's denial that seems to stand in stark contrast to what Jesus said moments earlier. When the band of soldiers comes with their torches and their weapons to arrest Jesus, what does Jesus say? I am. Last week we looked at that. Jesus' revelation that he is the great I am. Jesus says, I am. When Peter is asked by a servant girl, if he's a disciple of Jesus, what does he say? I am not. I am. I am not. Is your life defined by your failure, by your sin, by the rooster, or is it defined by the cross, the triumph of Jesus Christ? Well, that depends, really. It depends on whether or not you accept the truth of who you are and who Jesus is. If you can humbly admit what you cannot do, but what only Jesus can and did do to save you. Beloved, you can't, but Jesus can. Because you aren't, but Jesus is. You following me? You can't, but Jesus can, because you aren't, but Jesus is. You cannot atone for your sin. You cannot make up for all the wrong things you have done. There are mistakes and failures that you have made that cannot be fixed by human hands. But thanks be to God, we have a Savior who can do what we cannot. Beloved, you are not God. You are not holy. You are not the Savior. Jesus alone is the Savior, the only Redeemer of God's people. He is, he's just told them, he is the great I am. We, we are not. Who are we? We are the sinners. We are the created ones with weaknesses and needs and selfish desires and fear of men and sin. Jesus can, you can't, Because Jesus is, and you aren't. You see, Jesus alone can make it through all the sufferings, all the temptations, all the injustices, all the punishments of life unscathed, sinless, spotless, undefiled, unstained, and unchanged. 
But you cannot. I cannot. We cannot. If Peter, remember who Peter was. If Peter can fall so hard, so fast, so easily, what about the rest of us? You see, in Peter, what we see, what we notice is this. We notice our common, our shared human nature and weakness. We are all people who sin. We are all in need of a Savior, the great I am, outside of ourselves. What I often say here at Proclamation is that all are needy. All are needy. Every single one of us, without exception, we are all sinners in need of a Savior, in need of rescue, in need of healing. That truth, when you embrace it, you acknowledge it, it shapes your response to God and to yourself and to others. If you admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, you know that Jesus is and you aren't. The only proper response to that is to repent and believe. To repent of your sin and trust in this beautiful and glorious Savior. And Peter got this later in his life. You know, maybe read through the first few chapters of the book of Acts when you get home this afternoon. It would be a wonderful Sabbath afternoon activity. And just to be encouraged, here's a, a living illustration that Peter's life was not defined by this worst moment of his life. It wasn't defined by the rooster. It was defined by the cross. But Peter got it. In Acts chapter 2, he is preaching this gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with incredible boldness. And the response of the people, the Holy Spirit is working, and they cry out, what must we do to be saved? And his very simple answer, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Have you done that? Will you do it today? And if so, would you tell someone how the Lord has had mercy on you? How he transformed your life. But you know, repentance, it's not simply a one-time event in the life of the believer. We do it together. We do it here every Sunday. We just did it moments ago. Why do we do that? Well, one, because God tells us in his word to do that. And so as we plan these worship services, we look to God's word, and we want to worship God in the way that he's told us to. So that's why we do it. But we also do it because we need it. We need to confess our sin before the holy God and hear once again his assuring words of forgiveness. That though we are guilty, we are pardoned. Why? Not because of us, but because of Jesus. The grace we have in him. Repentance and faith are things that Christians do every day. It's part of who we are. It's what it means to have your life defined by the cross. When you truly believe that all are needy, that Jesus is and you are not, it directs your response to God. It also directs your response, your approach to others, to the people around you. If you realize that every person in this room, just think about that for a moment. Every person in this room, every member of our church, every Christian everywhere in the world still sins. And at times in grievous ways. Ways that 
might make you think, do they know Christ? Peter said he didn't know Christ. That was a grievous betrayal. When you realize that, how do you respond? If you're going to reflect your Savior, Jesus Christ, you do not respond with harsh judgment. You respond by pointing them to the grace of God in Christ with patience and compassion and humility. You seek to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, knowing that you too still sin. You too still face temptation. And Peter got this. These are lessons Peter learned. Right later he would write, clothe yourselves, every one of you, with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You think Peter had his pride laid low this night? John doesn't tell us, but he went out and wept bitterly. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Sin is complicated. It is persistent. Christians will struggle with it and fight against it every day of their lives until Jesus returns. And I can't wait till that struggle is over. But knowing that is true, beloved, let us be full of compassion and forgiveness for fellow sinners in need of a Savior. Let's be more like our gentle and lowly Savior. And we must refuse to engage in the world's favorite pastime of defining people by their worst moments christians do not do that because that's not how we are remembered or defined jesus does not let the rooster define his sheep or his bride so let's make sure we don't either the truth that all are needy that jesus is and we aren't aren't it also directs our response to ourselves I wonder if you know that you have it in you to betray your Savior. The tendency to do that is in the heart of all of us. You have it in you to sin in any and every way. And when you realize that, when you realize that, that will compel you to do all you can to watch and pray, to be on guard, to admit that you need help. You, you understand why Paul would say, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And Peter got this. He wrote, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That wasn't just an image that Peter wrote. He lived that. He experienced that on this night of Jesus' arrest and trial. The rooster reminds us not only of Peter's denial, but of our own sin, our own failures, our own need for grace, the cross, on the other hand. The cross reminds us of the triumph of Jesus. The amazing grace God gives to those who humbly come to him. Now Jesus is not yet at the cross in this passage, but he is on the road there. He's been arrested and the trial has begun that will lead to his crucifixion. 
This is not a real trial. They're not following the law. What this is is really an unjust murder plot. The other Gospels tell us that these people were intent on putting Jesus to death. That was their motive and their design and their purpose. They are determined to put Jesus to death, and it doesn't matter at all what they have to do to make it happen. So the high priest begins in verse 19 by questioning Jesus about his disciples, about his teaching, trying to see how many people are part of this group. Are you teaching some kind of conspiracy? Is there the danger of an insurrection? And Jesus answers in verse 20. Once again, I'll read those words. Jesus says, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I've said. Now what is Jesus doing here? He's answering, answering truthfully. But in a sense you could say he's requesting a fair or a legal trial. It's supposed to start with witnesses. There are no witnesses. They are immediately accusing and asking Jesus. They could find no witnesses, not, none that could give any true reason for putting Jesus to death. And then, instead of acknowledging their wrong, what happens next? One of the officers hits Jesus in the face. He strikes the Son of God across the face. Lord, have mercy. Jesus has done nothing wrong. He has only spoken truth. Have you ever been accused of something you did not do? Have you ever been mistreated? Jesus knows how that feels. But Jesus not only knows how it feels, he is going to lay down his life. He's going to be abused to the point of death so that he can heal the pain that comes from that in your life and so he can make it so it will never happen again. Jesus is the one who has the power to do something about that pain. But you see, Jesus will have to suffer in order to make that happen. And here Jesus is suffering injustice at the hands of these wicked men, and he's doing so willingly to save us. The righteous laying down his life for the unrighteous. You know, he could have called on a legion of angels to aid him. In a split second, just like that, he told the disciples when, they came, when they came, the soldiers came to arrest him, he could have done that. Put away your sword. I'm not doing that. He didn't even need to do that. You realize that, right? This is the great I am, God in the flesh. He simply could have stopped giving them breath in a moment and they all would have fell flat dead in an instant. Instead, he suffers their insults and abuse and Peter would later write, he did not revile in return. He did not revile in return. Everyone is doing the wrong thing except for Jesus. Jesus is steadfast in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his love, in his holiness. 
And as he suffers, he's able to do so in part because he entrusts himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusts himself to God, his Father. And so, beloved, I would encourage you to find solace and comfort in your Savior. He longs for you today to receive the comfort that he died to give you. So if you are suffering injustice or oppression, you also can entrust yourself to the righteous judge of all the earth. He will do what is right. He will do what is just. He will make it right. Here, Jesus is the one suffering injustice. And as he is suffering this injustice, he is fully aware of the cause of it. It's not his sin. He had none. He always did what pleased his father. It is our sin. Jesus willingly yields himself to this illegal trial, to the plot to put him to death, in obedience to God, and in sacrifice for us. At this very moment, when Jesus is willingly going to the cross, one of the disciples that he has spent the most time with, the one that he poured his life into more than any other, is betraying him. Now we know that Judas betrayed Jesus, and, and I don't want to dismiss that, but that was the, the betrayal of an enemy. Judas was a wolf in sheep's clothing. Peter's was the betrayal of a friend. Which one was more painful? You know, Luke tells us in his gospel account that after Peter's, Peter's third denial, Jesus turned. He turned and he looked at him. <laughs> and they saw eye to eye at that very moment. And it says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. It doesn't tell us what Jesus do, did. But it wouldn't surprise us if Jesus shed tears as well. Not only the pain he endured, but it, how his heart went out to Peter. His love for Peter. As Jesus goes to the cross, he knows what is happening. He knew his followers are deserting him. He knew Peter was betraying him. And John wants us to see this. He wants us to see the contrast. These are the kind of people Jesus died for. But it's not just these. It's we we are the kind of people Jesus died for. You are the kind of people Jesus died for. I am the kind of person Jesus died to save. He died for people who have it in them to betray him. People like Peter, people like me, people like you. Now we may not deny Jesus with our lips by what we say. But I certainly have by what I don't say. By my silence. More worried about what a created human being thinks than what the creator. We certainly have betrayed him in our lives. Every time we fail to trust him and we pursue the pleasures of this world, we are betraying the Savior who died for us. And if it wasn't for Jesus... Our lives would be defined by those failures by the rooster and we would be in despair. We would be like Judas. How did he respond to despair? It cost him his life. 
But beloved, there's hope for us because of the cross, because Jesus will never betray those who he has set his love on. No matter how many times you betray him, he's not letting you go. He set his love on you and he will love you. He'll love me faithfully for all time. There is such good news and hope and healing in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Listen, you're not going to find this love, this hope anywhere else in the world. You won't. Some of you are looking for it. And you will look and you will look and you will look. And you will not find it apart from Jesus. And you'll leave a trail of tears behind you. I would urge you, come to the one who loves you today. This is not Peter's final scene. Isn't that so encouraging? This is not Peter's final scene. The crow of the rooster is not the final word on his life. Jesus does not ostracize him. In fact, later we are going to see how Jesus actively pursues him. Go tell the disciples, and Peter, come on now. Peter is not going to be defined by his failure. He's going to be defined by the cross, by the triumph, the grace of Jesus Christ. The one who looked at him and loved him in his very worst moment. At his lowest, Jesus changed Peter's life and he can change your life. But it's only Jesus who can redeem you, heal you, rescue you. Only Jesus can bring you into his kingdom and transform you and use you in his kingdom. I have no words for how amazing our Savior is. And so, beloved, I ask you, is your life defined by the rooster or the cross? The rooster represents our failure. The cross represents the triumph, the victory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Where we fail, Jesus prevails. The rooster represents our sin, our need for rescue, our need for forgiveness. The cross represents our cleansing, our healing, our deliverance, our salvation. The rooster cries out, you are a failure. You are a sinner. You can't. The cross proclaims, you are forgiven. You are a saint. Jesus can and did. Jesus can redeem even your worst moments, your worst failures. He rescues those in trouble. Trouble. Peter says, by his wounds you have been healed. He can and he did. He prevailed. It is finished. He died and rose again. And now he reigns on high. And he's coming again, not to deal with our sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so, beloved, when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, your life is not defined by your failures. Don't believe it. That's a lie from your adversary. He's a lion. He wants you to believe it. He's going to put them before your face all the time. And just look at that as an opportunity. You can say, thank you, Satan, for pointing me to Jesus. I'm going to the cross, not the rooster. You're going to be tempted to have your life be defined by your failures, but they must not be because, beloved, those who are in Christ, your lives are defined by the triumph of your Savior. Your sin will not have the final say. God's grace is going to shine in the end.
Thank you, Jesus. So how will your life be defined? In the coming weeks, we are going to see how our risen Savior, the resurrected Christ, restored Peter and used him for his glory. And beloved, that's not an unusual or unique story. That's our story. This is what God does for all of his people. This is what Jesus does for all of his sheep, for us, for you, and for me. Why? Because we are now united to Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. Yes, we can admit that we were the wretch the song refers to. Our lives were at once defined by the rooster. But now, yes, we have an incredibly bright future. Why? Because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Our lives are now defined by the cross. And yes, we rejoice with joy that anyone, anyone can get in on this. You too can have your life redirected and redefined and renewed and indeed resurrected with Jesus Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Amen.